0: Welcome again to the Future of Food podcast for TQ. I'm Alex Crisp, your host. Recently, I spoke to Radhika Ramesh, who works in policy for the Good Food Institute in India. She was able to give me her take on the uniqueness of India's position in the cultivated meat industry from a religious, cultural, legal and business perspective. Okay. Uh so today we are um speaking to Radhika Ramesh um who works for the Good Food Institute in India. She is a policy specialist. Um hello Radhika how are you?
1: Hello. Hi. Morning hello. to you.
0: Would you would you be able to just introduce yourself a little bit and say what you do what your role is?
1: Sure. Um, So I've been working for the Good Food Institute India, uh, which is um, an organization that focuses on developing alternative protein. Uh, We call it as smart protein in India. So we're sort of like an ecosystem enabler, uh, a think tank, um, an open access uh, scientific organization, and we're a part of an international network of nonprofits. So I work in the policy team where we work to Uh, build government awareness about the alternative protein uh, technology, um, help them fit that within their national priorities, um, so that they can see it as a solution for climate action, for economic opportunities, uh, just general, um, you know, creating it as a, uh, a top tier priority in terms of other areas of climate investment the country. So we also work closely with the regulator so that we have enabling regulatory pathways when companies come up in the sector. Um, I I am um, uh, trained in law, but I was always very interested in sustainability and climate change um, and international trade. So um, I I thought this was the best organization because it, it, it builds that intersection with all of the different areas that I'm passionate about
0: okay um so it's and so you're working directly with governments and with the regulator in India who is the regulator
1: yeah I do we do work with uh, several government bodies um in India it's sort of like a federal a quasi-federal structure so then you also have a central government but because there's so many states we also have state level uh, government members. Uh, so we have like a multi-pronged approach where we try to engage centrally, but also in those regional governments, uh, because each each state or each region is also very vastly different and they have different opportunities. So we try to see what would be the most unique um, opportunity that we can propose for that particular region. But um, And the regulator in India, the food regulatory body um, is called the Food Safety and Standards Authority of India, which is the FSSAI. Um, They are like a counterpart of the, let's say, of the U.S. FDA. So they authorize any, um, you know, food product that would go into the consumer market. Um, For for a lot of the alternative protein products that are considered novel, let's say fermentation protein or cultivated protein, there is a process called pre-market approval where, you first submit a dossier with all the information, and then they ascertain if that food is safe to be, um, you know, uh, safe to uh, reach the consumer shelves. And then once you get that approval, then you can start uh, manufacturing and producing those products.
0: Okay, interesting. So it sounds like it's a similar process to that of the USA. Um, how how close do you think they are in India from that first stage?
1: Um, so uh the body is a little different in the us because uh, for cultivated meat there's two agencies that work but uh, do you mean in terms of like one particular category um what the what the regulatory advancement in india looks like
0: yeah i mean i, I suppose more broadly um it's just uh interesting what the what the take up is like. What is the attitude like there um in India? Do you think they're close to um accepting it? Do you think they're close to approving it?
1: Um yeah, so um so th- we're seeing different levels of success in terms of uh, regulatory understanding or like uh, perception from the the regulator. So for plant-based meat um because it's not really considered as as novel as the other categories there's a lot of products already on the market shelves uh there's there's different um you know there's different types of offerings you're seeing a lot of um startups um, there's about 40 different brands there's 29 different formats and these are these are products across meat eggs dairy and they're all available in retail in e-commerce and food service channels uh, but when it comes to cultivated protein, what we are understanding through through our advisory is that the current regulatory framework would be appropriate to regulate these novel proteins. So I think the regulator is just um at this stage just waiting for the first application to go in for cultivated protein. Um, but for fermentation, um, there's a there's a company called Perfect Day which produces dairy protein, animal free dairy protein, and they receive their approval uh, earlier this year. Uh, So they are looking to set up uh, manufacturing in in India and then they'll be exporting um, the animal-free dairy protein to other countries. So we're seeing companies like Perfect Day venturing into India uh, because there are opportunities like low-cost manufacturing that India offers.
0: Okay, so uh, and Perfect Day, where are they based then?
1: They're based in California. Uh, so they produce something called casein or whey protein. Uh, it's through the uh, microbiome uh, the precision fermentation. Um, so it's it's animal free, and uh, the 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 they felt that you know there would there would be a lot of um, economic sense for them to just also set their base and for manufacturing in countries like in India. So they are looking at a big expansion over the next year.
0: Right, interesting. So it's a it's a sort of milk alternative. Is it that they produce?
1: Yeah, so they're producing the the same globules or the proteins that are that exist in, uh, let's say, uh, dairy, which is produced by cow, cow milk, uh, except that it's not derived from the animal. So it's animal free. Um, it gives that mouthfeel of actually consuming an actual dairy product because it is, but it's just produced through fermentation,
0: right. precision
1: fermentation, uh, to be precise.
0: And they've been given uh, approval by the Food Safety and Standards Authority in India, have they?
1: Yeah, for a pre-market approval, that's right. Um, So they went through that novel process, uh, sorry, the novel regulatory framework process. They've submitted the documents and the regulator has authorized them and now they can um, start producing.
0: Okay, interesting. And they're the first ones to, to get approval in India, are they?
1: No, they, they are one of the first in the sense that they are the first um, international organization to come set up in India and get that approval. But like I mentioned earlier, there have been other categories that have seen a lot more uh, progress. There are other companies through our advisory, we understand, are looking to or are in the process of applying for approval. So we might see way more approvals over the next year.
0: Right. Okay. Interesting. So, um, could you tell me uh, a little bit about what's you know what are the differences uh, in India compared to uh, you know other countries around the world? What are the difficulties that India might face?
1: You are referring to cultivated meat, what we call cultivated meat. So, um, generally, the challenges for cultivated meat is that it is uh, it's a high investment uh, technology. Um, and you know it requires a lot of space. Um, so it's, it's also an area of technology that has been recently developing. So there is still a lot of R and D that's taking place. Um, so currently in India as well, we have, I think one to three um, researchers or even um, academic institutions working on cultivated meat. And they're looking at solving some white space opportunities or challenges, research challenges that exist across. Um, and I think it's it's still in that R&D level. Um, they, they are looking to, you know, commercialize or um, apply for approval um, over the next few years. I think COVID in India also sort of affected their uh, research and development activities and just sort of their overall plan to go to the market. But the challenge, like I mentioned, is that Access to funding is an issue. Um, so the way we see it is that, that if the government is able through able to support them with public funding, um, then I think that's a big um, support that can come in for entrepreneurs because right now um, they are producing it at a lab scale. Um and we we'll need to look at to for it to really be a solution that can um help um reduce the reliance on animal protein there needs to be a vast amount of product that needs to be produced so uh, for that we we are working with the government to help them understand the the need to sort of invest in this food systems transformation and there have there has been development well to be fair in 2019 we worked with uh, an institute called the Center for Cellular and Molecular Biology and they, they received a grant from the government's uh, Department of biotechnology for a joint research product, project to uh, develop uh, cultivated meat from sheep cells, which is lamb or mutton as we call it in India. Um, We're also working with another institute to um, you know advance R&;D in cultivated seafood product because seafood is so popular in India. Uh, so there are startups like Myoworks and Neat Meat um, and Clear Meat that are working on this, but right now, um, I I don't think they're like really ready to go to the market. But um, mm. we're hopeful in the next year that you know something positive would happen.
0: Is there anything right, unique right. about the uh, about the India market? Do you think is yeah. this that kind of makes it more complicated or makes it easier? Another month. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a that's an interesting question because the way we look at it is that there are some challenges, but then with those challenges there are unique opportunities that um, innovation can tap into. So I'll start by giving you an example of what it looks like in other countries and sort of highlight the unique position of India when it comes to alternative protein. Um, so the U.S., for example, is predominantly a very high animal protein-consuming nation. Um, there's a lot of reliance on red meat, right, especially beef. Uh, now, beef is mass-produced to be sold in several formats. It could be a steak, it could be a hamburger, or a minced beef um, for meatballs, which all forms a very integral part of their you know, food culture in the U.S. Now, recognizing this opportunities, innovators or entrepreneurs or companies have um, kept innovation by keeping in mind the regional preferences. So um, uh, it, yeah. now they've gone one step ahead in their innovation by adding beetroot extract, which is produced in-house by them. Uh, it co- it's co- it's contains a compound which basically gives consumers the feeling that they are biting into that juicy beef product with the bloodiness that you would previously only find in an animal protein product. So it literally gives you that feeling that you are not eating a alternative, but the actual animal protein product. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's Um, I can share the link with you later. It's very interesting how they produce that. It's got the color. It's got that you know that that metallic taste that you would get. Um, by understanding the unique consumer cohort, alternative protein startups are developing the products that consumers would rather want rather than an imported idea so like to explain further there is a notion that India is predominantly a vegetarian nation it's not um 77 percent of Indians recognize themselves as non-vegetarian but within that segment there are a lot of differences in how consumers eat meat when they eat meat when they abstain from eating meat for example for religious days or fasting periods There's also certain types of animal protein that are more popular in certain regions. Uh, For instance, India has a really long coastline. So there are regions where seafood is an essential staple uh, compared to other regions where egg might be the most popular protein. So I think these regional and cultural reasons have driven startups to produce products that are unique in Indianized formats, for example, in the form of a plant-based chicken biryani or a plant-based meat samosa. Or a plant-based meat dumpling, which is called a momo here, with Indian flavors and spices. Um, so I think they're really tapping into that, you know, consumer cohort, um, and it's 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 really popular ag- amongst the group that we call the early adopters, who are young and they're upwardly mobile. So there's been there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of growth in the category over the last two years, I would say.
0: Yes, I mean there's a big obviously there's a, a big market around the world for Indian style food uh and curries and, and and that sort of thing. So do you think this will be a big market for the you know, for the alternative uh, cultured meat market in India?
1: Yeah for sure I mean once that technology develops and it's it's scalable and it's uh you know it meets that price point we do see a lot of opportunities to uh supply to a global um for the global demand I think there is like you mentioned a lot of uh, interest in the Indian food so I think uh providing it in different formats, like you said, in curries and uh, dishes like biryanis. I think those are all opportunities that companies will definitely tap into. Um, Mm -hmm. I think right now they're still in the early stages of um, figuring out early um, technological sort of um, white space opportunities that they are investing a lot of time um, into. So once we're able to get further investments by the private or public, um, I think we can we can then move to the next level of innovation where they where they decide how to present the different products and how to tap into a global supply. For sure, yeah. So how yeah. is um,
0: how is GFI uh, influencing industry there in India? What's their sort of presence on the ground?
1: Yeah. So um, so at GFI. India we are focused on locating alternative protein within the context of a developing world. Um, so we're trying to see how we can aim alternative protein at improving the agricultural resilience through biodiversity by diversifying the farmer incomes and driving access to nutritious food for consumers. Um so in India, we are seen as an ecosystem enabler or an ecosystem builder. So unlike in other countries like Israel or the US, where the startup ecosystem is fairly well established, um, in India, the entrepreneur has to build out the entire innovation stack to launch a product. So we try to make that process easier. So we focus on ecosystem building. So we have an innovation team that works closely with entrepreneurs, investors, corporate professionals um, to support capacity building and market access. Um, but we also work with another cohort, which is to aim, which is to, uh, sorry, to advance scientific research and talent. Um, so we help to um, address some of the key foundational um, scientific challenges that currently exist by partnering with academic and um, you know, academic and research partners. We support the Indian scientists by facilitating funding opportunities or collaborative or international collaborative opportunities to conduct the cutting-edge research that um that that is very much uh required right now. Um, a lot of the focus in India has also been to sort of support um talent development because we do see that. Talent is also an essential requirement for this growing industry. It's not just the technology or the product. We need people to actually be working or understanding how the technology works to actually get it kick-started in a future-ready sort of um, uh, industry. So we're trying to see how we can create specialized coursework, curriculum, training programs, we also have something called the India Smart Protein Innovation Challenge. It actually just launched today, um, and it's open for students to apply to. It's very unique because it's um it's looking to fill the biggest gaps and white spaces that exist in the industry. And it it is it's very popular amongst the young cohort. So they get they get an understanding of why food systems transformation is very important at a young age, and they understand the technological gaps, and they get that deep dive and handholding support from GFI. Um, they get mentorship support from the industry. So they know what the challenges, but the opportunities are going into the sector. Um, we also have a policy and regulatory team, which that I am a part of. So through this team, we try to work with the government to drive public investment, uh, but we also try to get them to recognize alternative protein by linking it to their national priorities. Um, I think that's that's very important because, um, like, let's say, investments in solar technology or you know, clean tech. Um, we also see alternative protein as a very key pillar of uh, government and it, it should be of national and secure uh, national interest uh, because a lot of other nations are looking at it uh, similarly as well. It's it's part of their food security plans for the next five or ten years or fifteen years. Um, and yes. we do this through uh, something called the National Mission for Smart Protein, where we're hoping that you know the the government looks at it as a unified um, you know. Um, Effort to build all these um, programs into one unified approach, where we bring different stakeholders, and then we can really build this up in India.
0: So it sounds like uh, it sounds like you've really got your hands full over there. So you are <laughs> so you are you, you 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 are dealing with the governments, the regulatory bodies, but also you're working with farmers and you're working uh, with with young entrepreneurs. Um, so. Does the GFI provide any sort of funding for any of the projects or is it just sort of educational support?
1: Yeah, so uh, GFI does provide funding. So there are funding opportunities uh, that the Good Food Institute provides. I think um, I can share uh, some resources um, after this call, but the GFI research um, grant program um, is a donation, that uh, it, that is procured from a small number of generous donors, but it's also um, a, a funding program which funds open access research. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it's on a yearly basis where you can apply for research funding. So so that is that is something that we do as well. So but what a, anything is- anything that comes out is open access
0: right okay and when you say open access that means it's uh it's 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 kind of perfectly visible for everyone to see what's going on yes yes yeah so what kind of amounts are you are you know are you giving to people what is the sort of funding level
1: got it um so i think according to the gfi research grant program there's two types of funding mechanisms and i think um there's one field catalyst grant which i think the the grant period is up to 24 months and it it goes up to like 250000 dollars um and the other one is a discovery grant which is 100000 dollars um and like i mentioned i think uh, they roll it out in an annual um uh, annual basis
0: that's very interesting it's it's interesting to to see the reach that the gfi has around the world because they are you know they are in in quite a few countries now and they and they are um uh, you know they are providing a lot of assistance and a lot of funding and a lot of education so they are and so they are being you know they are quite a big player in the industry
1: yeah, I think so we are an international network of nonprofits, but we, we work independently, although we we sort of we do share information and we sort of hand over each region um through this process. So there's a lot of um just ensuring that um we share best practices across regions, but um, we have colleagues that work from Brazil, Israel, the US, Europe, in, in Asia Pacific, and look also in India. Um, and yes, you are right. We, we sort of work in those different areas. But um, I think as a nonprofit organization, and uh, because our work is pro bono, we don't really charge for our consultancy. We, we also are a very um, unbiased organization. So we so we also look at the challenges faced by the sector but the, we can approach the government in a manner that um that they are able to reliably uh, trust the information that we share with them which you know is it's coming from that um middle like as a from a middle perspective it's it's not uh, it's it's very honest even our reports are very much um, giving you an overview of what the industry looks like, what the sector looks like, and what is needed for the sector to grow. Um, and we're very very much in the um you know in this industry to ensure that the reliance on animal protein is reduced and that's our theory of change that it can be solved through alternative protein.
0: I was just wondering um in 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 India, what do you think what do you think is the attitude? Um, what do you think the attitude of the person the you know the average person will be to uh, cultured meat um I know that in Europe and in England when you mention cultured meat there's a sort of you know people screw up their face they don't really like the idea of it Um, do you think that's going to be a problem in India as well
1: um yeah I know that we spoke about this earlier about consumer acceptability and I think that's um, largely also because of how any new technology is uh, communicated to the general public because it's always seen as very futuristic and you know it's, it's very sci-fi related and I think it's really a, about how you portray your product and how you can break it down so an average rational consumer can understand the the process through which that technology was made um so i think i think once um once that hurdle is crossed over i think it's it's very easy for consumers to understand that this is the same and actually the earlier process of consuming animal protein would have been way more um complex and not something that they want to continue engaging in in the future because this 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 process of consuming it or producing it is just, it just makes more sense. Um, So, we did, there was a consumer study where uh, we studied the consumer acceptance of cultivated meat in countries like the US, China, uh, and in India. And we found that 56% of Indian consumers were very likely or extremely likely to purchase cultivated meat. Um, so I think there is interest. Um, I think once you, like I was mentioning earlier, once you produce it in formats and in in uh, in ways that people are comfortable, um, then I think it'll be easier for them to adopt this technology. Um, it's you. it's not uh, it's not uh, easy to say um, how fast or how soon, but we're we're hopeful that it'll happen soon
0: i suppose uh, and i might be wrong here but um i i get the feeling that in india there's it's uh, it's a more it's a more um um maybe educated kind of wealthier class of indians who are who are eating meat perhaps the sort of poorest people in 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 india don't really eat meat very much is that true
1: um so we are studying how we can Um, you know, ensure a just transition uh, when it comes to uh, the issues with respect to food security or protein malnutrition, which is a big issue in India. Um, So right now, um, you know, we do see that a lot of the, um, you know, the, let's say the richer cohorts, they are able to, you know, um change their um consumption lifestyle because um they just have access to better resources and they uh, tend to make choices that can resonate with you know sustainability for instance which um, the other sections of society might not have an option to because right now poultry or chicken is is um you know it's not as expensive as the other types of meat so it's quick and efficient protein um so it is cheaper in that sense so they have access to it and then it fulfills their protein um requirements um so no not really i think it really depends um there's like I said earlier, we have a really long coastline. Um, so there's a lot of uh, population that depends on seafood or the, the fisher folk because it's part of their uh, employment or their economic opportunities. They they also imbibe it within their uh, lifestyle or eating. Um, so when we look at a protein transformation, we have to look at all of these aspects and how it, it might uh, bring about a change in their everyday life.
0: Do you think there's going to be any difficulties in India regarding sort of religion and um and and cultured meat? Um, I know obviously there are there are um sort of restrictions to people's diet because of their belief. Do you think this is going to impact on cultured meat?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and it's something that we've been um, you know studying uh, a lot as well. And I think it's not unique to India; it's unique to a lot of countries. For instance, the Middle East, or let's say even Israel or India, where there are cultural beliefs when it comes to eating meat. Um, and I think in India, it's a, it's it's also a little different because in India, there's there's cohorts that eat meat on certain days of the week um we are severely protein deficient but you know it's also not the entire meal which is meat it's part of the meal um certain meats are not accepted in some religions for example beef is not eaten by many hindus or um pork is not consumed by um you know people practicing islam Uh, and no meat is allowed in certain communities um so i think i think with consumer awareness about how the technology is produced, I think that will have a great impact in how people perceive the technology. But we're also looking to see how, let's say, cultivated meat can potentially get these uh, religious certifications. So um, if uh, if there's a cultivated meat product, how will it get religiously certified as a halal product? Um, and then that that halal certification is very important in countries like Singapore or the Middle East, or any country in the Middle East that will be either producing it locally or um, importing it. So I think there's a lot of bodies that are already researching it and looking at how they can make uh, the whole process or part of the process that's important to determine if a product is safe to consume for that cultural group or a religious group. So I think there's a lot of advancements already. And um, I think it's very interesting how, how um, once you're able to provide that certification, then there's that comfort in eating that particular cultivated protein.
0: Yes, well, there's certainly a lot to watch out for. You know, there's going to be big change uh, over the next year or two. Um, And thank you. Thank you very much for talking. on this meeting radhika
1: thank you so much for having me